0: Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use
2: no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming back again to visit us at this hour. It's not uncommon for people who never bought in New York City to significantly underestimate the time it takes to buy property here, especially if they bought... Elsewhere in the country, New York City inventory is tight, and the market is competitive, especially for apartments under 1.5 million dollars. Additionally, if you're buying a co-op or a condo, there is an approval process to consider. We will break down that timeline this morning. Also, at this hour, with concessions on the rise across the city, more and more renters are starting to come across the term net effective rent in listings. But what is it? What does it really mean to your bottom line? The answer is. Are pretty straightforward, and it involves a little bit of math. Plus, the panel is here for Hot Topics, but first, I would like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. Each week, we bring you all the news that is relevant to your real estate success, regardless of what part of the process you belong to. And as always, you can tweet, uh, you can tweet me, uh, find me on so, uh, social media, Facebook and Instagram, or you can email me here at the show or at vroccoatholstead.com. Having bought and sold resort-like homes from Miami to Pacific Palisades, Matt Damon is no stranger to high-end real estate deals. Now it looks like the Boston native is looking to make a move on a high-rise unit at the Standish Hotel, former Standish Hotel, in Brooklyn Heights. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Goodwill Hunting Oscar winner and Born series star is in contract for a top-floor conglomerate of apartments. At the newly renovated former hotel, the price is said to be $16.645 million, which would make it the priciest closing ever in the borough, unless Damon gets a price reduction. It's one of the most talked about listings in the city, and after years of speculation, the Woolworth Building's penthouse, dubbed the Pinnacle, is finally on the market for $110 million, the Wall Street Journal reports today. The residential conversion of the upper floors of the Woolworth Building has been in the works since 2012. Alchemy Properties purchased the top 30 floors of this 58-story skyscraper for $68 million and announced plans to convert it into 33 condos. Over the years, news on the building's condo conversion has been few and far between, but Alchemy has hyped its $110 million penthouse for quite some time now. A floor plan for the 9,700-square-foot apartment was first revealed in 2014, but there is still concern as to who will purchase this gem." In Midtown Manhattan, we got it, uh, Midtown Manhattan rather, got its first new movie theater in 15 years last week. Landmark Theater's billionaire Mark Cohen and Todd Wagner's Los Angeles-based movie chain has opened a sprawling eight theater complex on West 57th Street between 11th and 12th Avenues. Uh, the 30,000-square-foot complex is in reta- is in the retail portion of the Durst Organization's 32-story, 709-unit mixed-use uh, building and it was just completed. One Manhattan Square Extel Developments condo project on the Lower East Side waterfront is attempting to attract would-be residents with an extensive amenities package that include unusual offerings such as an adult treehouse and infrared saunas. The uh, 800-square-foot-tall tower, which has a 100,000 square feet of outdoor 100,000 square feet of outdoor space and indoor amenities is designed to direct residents away from a solitary existence. The amenities package for the project is extensive. It includes a full-size basketball court, a two-lane bowling alley, a squash court, a swimming pool, a golf simulator, a fitness center, a spa with a Turkish bath and private treatment rooms, and a theater and performance space, a cellar bar and a demonstration kitchen. I mean, 100,000 square feet of, of amenities in a building. How or why is this necessary?
3: Uh, you're a mile from the subway, so you're going to have to <laughs> – <laughs> you kind of need to entertain yourself out there. I mean, there's nothing there.
2: There's nothing there. Exactly. I,
3: I don't understand. I mean, they, they say the neighborhood – I mean, they say the project's doing great. People have been raving about it, but I just – I can't imagine living over there. I looked at apartments over there when I first moved to the city. Yeah. It's no man's land.
2: It, it, it's no man's land. And the, and the and the walk to the train is, is, is enormous. But I, I just think, you know, even with all these amenities in a building, even if you were close to a subway train or wherever, who would use all these amenities? I mean, who has time to do all this? I, I don't, you know, as New Yorkers, do we have time for this?
4: I mean, maybe international investors who are buying there who, who come for like a week out of the year and they're going to, you know, not really do much. I'm sure they'll enjoy those amenities. But whenever I think about major amenities, this is going a little overboard. But I think about Palestra at the Alden and Riverside Boulevard that's so far from the subway as well. And apparently those get used a lot. Yeah, I never give, see anyone. They, they, I mean, they do
3: <laughs> the, the, the amenities at Sky on 42nd, that, mm. that to me is one of the best amenity buildings. It's I, gorgeous. I, I went
4: there for the first time. Wild. stunning. I,
2: yeah, ha- I haven't seen that, but I've heard that they are amazing. The, the lobby there.
3: is like, how is this a rental lobby? It's amazing. Um, but I'll say downtown right in that area, uh, the Geary building, 8 Spruce Street, uh, they have 900 units in there, but the, uh, the amenities in there are very heavily used. I mean, extremely heavily used. So I guess it just matters how many people are in the building and- how bored they are or how far you are from civilization, maybe?
2: Yeah, I mean, on a snowy, you know, wintry day when, you know, you're you're backed up because of a blizzard or whatever, maybe you want to go take advantage of it all. But, you know, look, there's, there's, as we say in this town, there is always something for everyone. Let me, let me ask a question uh, back to the story about the Woolworth Building penthouse, $110 million, uh, recently announced. It's been buzzed about for a couple of years. Uh, ninety-seven hundred square feet, hundred and ten million dollars at the top of the Woolworth Building. By the way, it's a gorgeous building. It's a stunning building. Uh, they did and, a nice
3: job on the on Alchemy, those lower units. I mean,
2: yep, really. Alchemy has done a great job on what I've seen so far. But 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 who is the buyer for this one hundred and ten million dollar apartment?
3: So back in two thousand twelve, um, you know, I had heard about it, and people from my office have been touring it and taking clients over there. Um, the rub on it was there's a lot of pillars, and it's kind of it was never meant for residential use. So there was kind of like a strange flow to the floor plan. But um, back then it was, you know, Russian oligarchs where, you know, everyone was trying to get a Russian oligarch in there. And of course we sanctioned them and their currency was devalued and oil revenues are down. So now I feel like, I don't know who the buyer for this is. You know, $110 million is... It's gonna be by far the most expensive unit downtown ever.
4: So yeah. I mean, I I took a client to the Woolworth building when it was first when Alchemy was actually doing the in house sales um, a few years ago, and it's gorgeous. I mean, the finishes are amazing. Um the one thing that people forget is that because it's a conversion, it the monthlies are so high. And I I remember I would uh, think about Well and there's no tax the abatement either. Right. And I, I would think about like, who is the buyer for that building? Because the prices were very international, you know, like reaching towards international buyers. But the clientele, I think, is very, you know, New York almost because it's it's such an iconic building. It's like almost like a collector's like, item. Right. Almost like when the Plaza was converted. You
3: know, you know and, and a difference between uh, a few years ago and now is the Four Seasons was completed on that block. And that completely changes the dynamic of that block. I mean, the blocks right off Broadway by Chambers over there were all like these super discount retail stores selling weird, like tourist items, or they're just really dirty, or you don't know what's going on. So that block has changed a lot. And I think, and I said to the sales team when I was there earlier this year that it was kind of a blessing in disguise. The project was delayed a few times because now you have the four seasons there and that totally brings a whole new dynamic well, to exactly listen street. i
2: used to work out in that building the gym that i belonged to many years ago was at the uh, the lower floors of that that building and i used to sell i was in technology sales and i had clients in that building so i know it as a res, as a as a commercial building as a business building and when i first heard they were converting it you know uh, I thought, well, it's not really a great neighborhood. I mean, it's not really a great residential place to want to be. The building is
4: spectacular, but... I've had closings it has in the changed. bottom Sean's part of that building. You've had what? <laughs> I've had closings in that building. I mean, um, but no, seriously, to Sean's point, I was actually talking to one of my developers a few weeks ago about the Woolworth building and about how it's very... You're seeing a lot of um common, repeated situations in the city. Like I think that when the... The plaza was being converted a number of years ago. You had that and 15 CPW, and like those were the two major players in that area. And then now you have, you know, the Four Seasons and the Woolworth building, and they're very similar products, actually. Like if you compare those two situations. So, but I don't know. I think well, that, you know, that, but the yeah. tra-
5: I think transportation is key, and there's transportation right there. <laughs> well, that's right there, yeah. And then there's um,
4: the I Gary know, building? The Gary building. Oh, the Gary building. Right yeah. there
5: started the change in that area and even though that's a rental building it's such a high quality incredible views uh that i just think that you know that and then these buildings coming up um and then the forest i mean i just think that this is an area that's really something to watch and it's really changing and i think that any area in manhattan that is close to transportation and has open wide views like those is a winner for sure
2: yeah, I, I agree, and like I said, you know, we, a lot of it always depends on transportation. And you're right, Perul. You know, the trains are right there, and, and and over time, as Sean said, you know, the 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 area did get better. So uh, let's see what happens. But I do remember the building being spectacular. I did see it when Alchemy first opened it, you know, a couple of years ago, whatever. Uh, and the finishes it, Matt are brilliant I mean, I mean they'd be
3: they're awesome. just incredible yeah, you can incredible. see the terracotta like the amazing. Right, everything it's gorgeous. So gorgeous it's so gorgeous
4: and it really is. We, we should talk more about what Pearl just said uh, you know in other shows and whatnot, because I don't it, the big argument is that Tribeca pushed down, you know, once 100 Barkley came out and the Four well, Seasons came out. Con- and right. <laughs> no. you can stretch but, the boundaries, right? I but I, I know, actually right? think. And they still talk- call it Tribeca, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, right yeah, yeah.
3: You know
5: what? Which a, I think is it, one it, of the bigger great. mistakes, actually. I think that they should. Attempt to create that and see it as its own neighborhood because it's not Tribeca. Yeah, and I think um, that,
4: but I think that good on the developer instead of yelling at them, I think that they create, there was, that was a no man's land, like that area between financial distribution and Tribeca. Yes. I think they're, they're the ones who built it up.
5: And, and they realize that I there's mean. such an opportunity there. And I really think that in this town, I mean, if you just look at the last 10 years, right, like any pocket that was. I remember when Chelsea Stratus went up, what was it, 2006 or Mm. seven or something? And it was, I mean, I remember at the office that I was based out of at the time, the conversation being, who the heck wants to live above 23rd Street, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, look at Nomad now, you know, look at the Highline, which I have to admit I was kind of like, is the Highland really going to be that big of a deal? And it is so beautiful. And it is such an incredible addition to that part of town. So it's forward thinking to really invest in that area. As long as there's transportation and you've got a great product, it's a slam dunk. Well,
2: look at the building that um, uh, Sean mentioned before, Sky. I mean, that's way west. And, you know, I would originally say, oh, my God, who on earth would really want to live over there? That's really not much of a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But that building comes and, wow, it's like people dying to get in there. And that whole area now is so populated with all the buildings on that uh, western port of uh, 42nd Street. It's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Uh, Anyway, um, we're going to move on to timeline for purchasing in this city. You know, when you buy a house in the suburbs when you buy a house anywhere else in the country it's a it's a standard procedure just like it is here in New York but for some reason it takes a very long time to purchase here so we're going to go to break when we come back we'll break that down and talk about it this is good morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel we will be right back
1: streaming live
6: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products it only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees.
2: Now, back to the show. Hey everybody. We are back with Peru Brombat from Compass, Sean McPeak from Compass, and Matthew Cohen from CORE. As I said before the break, it's not uncommon for people who've never bought in New York City to significantly underestimate the time it's going to take to buy property here, especially if they bought somewhere else in the country or in the burbs. New York City inventory is tight and the market is competitive, especially for apartments under $1.5 million. Additionally, if you're buying a co-op or a condo here, there is also an approval process that you have to consider. Bottom line is that unless you're buying a condo without a mortgage or a townhouse all cash, you can't show up and buy property in a month. Let's talk about that because, as I said before the break, people thinking, and we all work with buyers for the first time here in the city, who come in and want to purchase all good intentions but then immediately and quickly they get frustrated because they don't understand timeline and I happen to be going through one right now that is the most frustrating one of the most frustrating deals I've ever worked with we're at the end we're we're, we're about to close and it's still becoming an issue yeah. because this seller just doesn't understand. That's a lot. You're
3: patient, guy, Vince, though, you're that frustrated. I can
2: see <laughs> it. I was like, wow, I, Vince I, is I, visibly I, upset. I can't even begin uh, to tell you when it this comes is over, with age. Um,
4: <laughs> I <don't>
5: <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, I'm just
2: kidding. Matthew,
5: were you out drinking last night? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. He
2: owed me because he said I got him a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and he was completely cold. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to get you back. All with lots of love, Matthew. But seriously, though, when you talk to buyers or sellers, and they get through this whole process, because the process goes from A to Z, right? So, but all along, people don't understand. It. How do you work? How do you explain, rather, to first-time buyers? Well, it, I what think the process <laughs> a
3: good way to explain it is A to Z is a bunch of different variables, really, to right. not just letters and steps. Uh, so, I, I just try to explain to people that it's an illogical industry and process, especially in New York City. Um, you know, outsiders, even if you're from Queens, coming into town is going to be, you know, kind of, uh, a, you know, a learning experience, no matter who you An are. An
5: awakening. <laughs> yeah, well, a
2: major
3: awakening.
5: Absolutely. <laughs> Enlightenment. I mean, you know what it is? It's also, I think the hardest thing, the most difficult thing is that um, the service That a buyer does and does not get in this town, or the the sort of the bandwidth of flexibility, whether it's a little bit of a negotiation or some sort of a give and take process, and I think it's the psychological preparation that don't of helping your clients not not make it into something personal and make it into an ego issue, because that I think is the biggest value to me that we add as brokers, in addition to the fact that luckily we do, We, in fact, as brokers, it is kind of lucky that we live in a market that is illogical and irrational to somebody who's not an expert. But there is a method to the madness as well. You know, so as Sean said, it really is kind of, so tough to get your head around as if you're a new buyer, especially if you're new to New York City. However, once we sort of break down not only the the method to the madness, like, okay, well, this is why even though this building is right next to that one, why the pricing is so different, why this apartment is a completely different product than that one, so on and so forth. And then I think that laying out the process from the beginning and explaining to them that this is most likely. Fastest we're going to get there, and managing those expectations is very key as well.
2: Well, let's talk about the timeline because the timeline is what really jams
4: people up sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm. It's well,
5: like, absolutely. Well, yeah.
4: I was going to say, I mean, I, you know, going off of what Pearl said, what's so great about the town that we live in and doing what we do here is that while every transaction is very different. Um, there is still a process that stays the same for almost everyone, and I personally have always found that I try and explain to buyers, whether they're first-time buyers, second-time buyers, because they forget very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, the process, you know, I I do it two times before we actually get an accepted offer or go into contract, um, because there is, you know. There's always this step by step, no matter which transaction is. You know, I always go over the we're gonna look for a while, (laughs) you know, we're gonna make an offer, the offer has this, this, and this that's necessary. You know, once we get an accepted offer, the deal sheet gets sent out, we have a few business days, we go into contract, buyer signs first, seller counter signs. Once in contract, we do the board package. You know, if you go over this Mm -hmm. with all your clients, I always find that it's gonna create less of that ego that parole is talking about and less complications.
2: But there's a lot of frustration with every element uh, that you just described because, well, first of all, when you start talking about a board package and start, you know, disclosure of finances and disclosure of other personal, you know, situations, especially if you're in a co-op, you know, some people don't necessarily want to cooperate with and that think- and it frustrates them and it gets them to the point where they're, you know, they they start fighting you not because they don't like you, but just because they're fighting the process. And well, that's really you know what? what breaks down.
5: And I think that to, to new brokers, newer brokers out there, um, I think when when you're new in this industry, uh, you tend to hesitate and shy away because there's a level of fear that if I spell out this process and allow you to understand how difficult it is up front, um, that you might Like, I might lose you as a buyer or something. But in fact, it's the exact opposite which is when you actually explain the process in detail and manage the expectations, what you're actually going to create is actually um, somebody who recognizes, I mean, the, the buyer is going to recognize that you're an expert, that you're holding their hand from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that it actually sets it up differently. So for those seasoned season brokers, I think we all do that up front, knowing what a value add that is.
4: I agree. I, in I, the I, I,
3: I preface it by just saying, it's like always a roller coaster. You're going to be up, down, just try to keep it even keel because there's definitely going to be good news and bad news.
4: And to newer brokers, like Pearl said, you know, what we do, we always talk about it on the show, is that we manage expectations. That's the biggest thing that we do as brokers. And managing expectations need to be from the start with a client. Don't, don't worry about scaring them. Um I, I actually make it a little I always like to make this process a little more fun. And I always tell my clients, I'll joke with them and I'll say, I promise you, shake my hand that you're gonna be really frustrated with me. During the board package process, like you might want to kill me, but know that it's all going towards what you want. And I actually, I finished a board package um, with my sub agent yesterday for a crazy co-op in Sutton Place. Um, Crazy meaning like very detailed. Um, and my client, who's the nicest person in the world, said to me, remember when you said I was going to be really mad at you during they the that, board package process? Here it is. <laughs> but, it's, but it's okay because when you get to the finish line, they will appreciate you that much more.
2: And, and this is a great segue because the next thing I wanted to talk about is actually what is the role of a real estate agent in this town, in New York City? Again, quite different from any place else. So we just talked about timeline and setting expectations of buyers and sellers in some cases. But I think what, what falls short sometimes is most people out there when they initially engage with an agent for the first time they don't really understand what it is we do okay we do a lot more than just show apartments open and close doors etc so what is it that we actually do that we want to make people out there understand what our value is and why we are important in this whole process or timeline that we've discussed
7: i uh hey guys it's phil i usually Tell them that uh, think of me as an advisor and a consultant. That is the main thing. Uh, Sometimes real estate agents get a bad rap, and I think a lot of it's because they approach it as a sales job. It's my job to close the buyer, it's my job to close the seller that it's it could not be further from the truth like you do not want that to be your mentality. So if a buyer or seller says, you know, what is your role here? It's like, look, think of me as an advisor, as a consultant. I've been doing this for years and years and years. I've seen every single situation that could possibly happen and that's my job. My job is to kind of navigate you through the ups and the downs. And believe me, there's a lot of them. And like Perul said earlier, there is a, it's a pretty detailed process. Like a lot has to happen. And how many times do we get the question from a buyer or a seller, uh, what happens next? What happens next? Like you're constantly mm-hmm. letting them know what happens next, you know? And so that's really it. And, you know, it's like, it's like a doctor where you want – a, a really good doctor to perform a surgery mm-hmm. in case something goes wrong? Well, this is
5: what I've said in the past on the show as well. And it's, uh, you know, when anybody asks me, I say, you know what, just because there's so much information available on online and on YouTube and WebMD, you know, if you have some sort of a physical, you know, malady, are you going to go to a doctor? Or are you going to try to do the surgery or whatever it is yourself? I mean, it makes no sense that, you know, people inherently see the value of of other professionals. And yet this is what your largest investment most likely in life. Do you not think you should have an expert on your side, especially in a market like Sean said is so illogical?
3: I mean, I, I kind of explain it like I'm, I don't compare myself to a doctor, but I mean, <laughs> sometimes a lot of my clients are doctors, but uh, <laughs> I'll be like, you know, I'm, I'm a personal trainer and, you know, Street Easy is like Equinox. And just because, you know, you have Equinox and you're a member at the best gym doesn't mean you're going to be in the best shape out of everybody in New York City. So you need someone to really guide you and show you, <laughs> ha- show you the ropes and how all this stuff actually works.
5: That's, that's a great analogy. But from now on, I'm just going to call you Dr. Real Estate. So... <laughs> they call me, no, listing doctor. Listing doctor.
2: A listing doctor. There the you listing go. listing doctor. But it's important based on what all of you said, when you see something break down with a buyer or a seller, and it usually it's because they're not paying attention. Usually it's because they're not listening to what our advice is. I like what you say, Phil, an advisor and a consultant. We are not a salesperson. And one of the first things my first hiring manager at Halls said to me when he was interviewing me, and I came from a very big corporate sales position, so of course I'm going now to mm-hmm. sell real estate as a salesperson. In the interview, he said, this is not a sales job. So if you think Mm-mm. it is, wipe that out of your mind immediately. You are marketing this property or whatever listings that you get, and you are helping market Another agent's listing when you bring buyers to that property. You're gonna,
3: you're doing whatever it takes to close the deal. So it could be, hey, you got to show up if there's a leak. You got to, you know, walk their dog. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things you have to do in order to create, you know, a comfortable situation for someone to actually go through with one of these sales. And, and it's on an all-in all
4: situation. And on a whole other mm-hmm. um topic, you know, because we, I think we talked about the conventional way of looking at it. If you then t- t- go into another sphere, um, I had a pitch last night. Um, and which, which I got. Um, yeah, congratulations! <laughs> congratulations. On it's a great apartment. Um, uh, they made a decision but, quickly. Uh, hey, it's hard when you're talking to me, it's I'm not hard, it, it's <laughs> not difficult when you're talking
5: to Matt, is what I was
4: going you to say. Um, you said so, hello, you had to say hello. They were like, take that hat off, I'm just kidding. Um, but they, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but they, they said to me at the end. Of At the end of our meeting, um, they were like, everything sounds great. You know, I think we're going to talk to like two other brokers and get back to you. Um, And they said, before you go, though, if you could look me in the eyes and tell me why you love doing this. That would be much appreciated. And I actually have never gotten that Great in a question. pitch. And and I was I was like, oh geez. I was like, how do I not cry in front of this person? Um, yeah, seriously, right? If
5: I cry, do I get the listeners? Right. Like, I, hate yeah, be, I, uh, I hate to be that's what happens. I hate to be emotional, but I,
4: I get very emotional about what we do because it's you know, it's all about caring. Like I, I said to them at mm-hmm. the end of the day, brokers can say whatever they want, but it's all a people business and what we do is helping people in really big moments throughout their life whether it's a first time purchase they've had kids and need a bigger place they got married and need a bigger place they you know i just sold an apartment for a widow who's such a wonderful person and you know is downsizing because she needs to these are tremendous moments in people's lives, and mm-hmm. I love being able to share it with them and helping them, and knowing that I might not be saving lives in Africa, but I am, you know, helping them in a big time of their life. And they were like, "Cancel the two other broker appointments. I we'll love, sign your list." I agreement. love it. I love it. But it's <laughs> so it's genuine. Though. It is so totally genuine. You know you, really just, is.
7: you know, you just—you know—you just gave me a great idea. Everyone should do this in their pitches. I mean, it's seriously like you should <laughs> No.
5: Well, you could cry.
7: But no, where you say, you know, you say to the Let's, sellers, let us know
5: how that works out for you. <laughs> but where you say
7: to the sellers, you know, if you don't mind, I just wanted to explain a little bit why
2: I love this job so much. Like, I think that would just yeah. be amazing. And, and
5: I will right, say We, one, we, we
2: have oh. to leave it there and pick up on the other side of the break. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. Don't go away.
1: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Blackberry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand no registration is required listen to your favorite voice america hosts and discover new ones download the voice america mobile app for iphone android or blackberry powered by aircast visit the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market
1: american heroes network is a program for and about our american veteran heroes and their families Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's
2: 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Perul Brombat from Compass, Sean McPeak from Compass, Phil Horgan, LeaseBreak.com, and Matthew Cohen from Core. Moving on, with concessions on the rise across the city, more and more renters are starting to come across the term net effective rent in listings that they see. But what does it really mean to your bottom line? The answer is pretty straightforward and, and involves a little bit of math. So, Mr. Leasebreak.com, when you see net effective rent in a listing, I know people call me and get very confused. They don't really know what that means and ask me, "What does it mean to the renter out there when they read this?" First of all, the reason why they're saying net effective rent is because that is not
7: the actual rent that you're paying on a monthly basis. So, but, but it is the amount that over the long over the period of the lease divided by the number of months, that is the net effective amount you're paying. So this comes into play, for example, if the landlord says, uh, we'll give you one month free on a 13-month lease. And the rent is, say, say the real rent you're paying monthly is $5,000. But since they're giving you a month free, the net effective will come out to be $4,000 and something per month, if that makes sense. So that's all that, that means, net effective rent. So... A lot of times, though, this is where this really comes into play is when you'll see an agent say four months free. In fact, I got an email recently, four months free, three months free, right? Yeah. And then you see a price, but it doesn't say net effective rent. That's where you as the agent or the the direct consumer should ask, is this the net effective rent? Or should I am I getting these four months free in addition to this sort of monthly rent that I'm paying? So it, it, you want it, to understand that. It gets that. very
2: confusing. And then yeah. sometimes you see a 13-month lease. With mon- one month free, and I say, well, what is the point? I mean, it's it's a gimmick. You're still paying twelve full it's, months of rent.
3: It's uh, <clears throat> well, it's it's a psychological gimmick. I mean, when you see the lo- <coughs> you're going to see a lower rent, which might make it more competitive versus other listings you're looking at. But um, the landlord benefits because they can show that to their bank if they want to refinance so they're getting a higher rent, right. so they get a better rate on their refi.
7: But the only thing I want to say is it's uh, you know I've been use the word gimmick. It's not really a gimmick in the sense that. That is the amount on a 13 month lease that you are, say, paying on a monthly basis. Like, in other words, you are getting that month free. If you weren't getting that month free, you would have to pay another full month of rent. So it is like it is a real number. It just means that that is the average amount per month you're paying over that. Time period. So it's not like a shady thing. It's not like a, I mean, no, a really it, it is time. a real thing. Because a right. lot of people think they just say it's a gimmick.
2: It's not actually <laughs> just a gimmick. It is a real thing. No, you know? I agree. I just yeah. think it's, it gets a little confusing sometimes confusing. because because you know on top of everything else, renters have to pay a broker fee, and we right. all know that they get a little bit of gas when it comes down to you know pulling out money to pay a broker right. fee. So you start adding all these what could be, you know, looked at as complicated, you know, terms and complicated, you know, programs. And the renters, at least a few that I've seen recently, get a little confused as to what am I really paying for here? And what is it, what is really my bottom
7: line? Well, one of the things that's really important is so brokers use this to their advantage too sometimes. For example, if let's just say the total broker fee for the year is $2,400, that, in other words, that's what we're charging the client, $2,400. I know that some agents will say, well, just think of that as another two hundred dollars a month on your lease, and so they'll say, let's say the let's say the amount is two thousand dollars for a studio, and they're paying a broker twenty four hundred dollars fee. The broker may say, listen, it's just like as if you're paying twenty two hundred dollars a month. That it would yeah. be the net effective mm-hmm. rent essentially. So, in other words, it, it, to me, it's a a tool that is useful and does sometimes get people to think. Well, what is the average amount I'm paying? Well, it's
3: well, what? Let's say you have the same exact unit, one floor difference in the same exact building. You're competing against your neighbor. And you advertise the net effective rent. You're going to get all the consumers and brokers before that other guy. So that's kind of the thinking. is like, okay, you have a $200 discount on your you know, $2,500 rental because you have a month free. You automatically are going to get more customers for the same apartment.
2: All right, continuing along the lines of rentals. In order to nab a New York rental apartment, most landlords require, and this is something that outside of New York City, again, people don't realize, most landlords here in, in town require that you earn 40 times the monthly rent. That means, for example, if you're looking to rent an apartment for $2,000 a month, you'll have to make $80,000 a year. But what if your income isn't steady or you're just starting a new job out of school or you don't make enough money or have enough money? The good news is there are workarounds. First off is uh, the guarantor, a person who makes 80 times the monthly rent and generally generally who lives within the tri-state area can agree to guarantee your rent In the event that you stop paying, but if you don't have someone who meets those requirements, meaning a guarantor, uh, what is another option? The other option is you can pay the entire year up front, which a lot of landlords say is okay. What is the best option or does it really matter? Getting a guarantor
8: or paying uh, all up front? I would say it depends on the situation. A lot of times, even if somebody has a guarantor, they still see it as a bigger risk than a prepayment. So um, in, in my case, I manage a lot of apartments for private investors and I would always go for the prepayment over a guarantor. That definitely pretty much eliminates the risk. There's also a third kind of hybrid here uh, that came about relatively recently called uh, insurance. So you have a lot of people who, you know, who have the money Um, but don't have the income on the books and they have parents that live either overseas or out of state. A lot of buildings won't even accept a guarantor out of state. So I think insurance is brilliant because they became the institutional guarantor. So for a fee, which usually can range from a third to a full month's rent, they'll act as a guarantor in lieu of a private person. So um, I would say by and large though, the best way... To eliminate the risk is to have the entire rent paid in advance, and that's very, very common. Let me ask you. Let let me ask you a question a about that because yeah, people have asked me the question. So, right,
2: yeah. so you, you you choose the option of paying one year upfront, okay? So whatever the number is, you know, twenty four thousand dollars if it's two thousand dollars a month upfront for the first year. Now you're getting into the second year, but your income situation is still the same. Your job situation is still the same. What does a landlord do and what do you do? Do you pay a second Again. year upfront or do you start well, paying yeah. monthly? Oh yeah, so
7: this, this is the reason why I mean some landlords do accept a year upfront, but a lot of landlords don't. And the reason that they don't is because of what you just said. Because when you accept a year upfront, what are you really doing? You're giving them a year. Fine. You're now you have them in for a year. What if they just squat in the apartment after a year these people cannot be and it happens by the way so of course it happens and it's very difficult to remove tenants in this town so I will say from my experience the most savvy landlords that have been doing this a very very long time and have been to court many many times they are not crazy about the Europe front. They'd rather have extra security. They'll take four months security, five months security. What they want to make sure of is if they have to get this person out of the apartment, they have enough time to do it. In Manhattan, it could take between four and six months at the minimum to get a tenant out of an apartment. So you generally want to have at least four months, if not six months, security for a tenant that is not qualified at all. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind.
5: But to speak from the renter's perspective, a Europe front tends to be extremely. Uh, scary. Well, it's certainly burdensome, but it definitely is is really scary for them because a lot of times renters do have the concern, well, if I give them all the rent up front and something goes wrong with my apartment, what repercussion do I have? I can't even hold back money until they fix my dryer that's broken or you know my heat that's not working or whatever. So there are certain concerns that need to be addressed up front when it comes to paying that sort of amount.
7: Yeah, that's actually a great point. And then also, it's some, some landlords like having the monthly relationship also. They like to see, does this person pay their rent on time? There's something about a monthly relationship that some landlords like to have because it's just a way to understand this sort of tenant relationship and they can make a better decision as to whether to renew the lease after a year. When someone pays up front, you sometimes don't know what's going on in the apartment <laughs> You know, for that for that year. So anyway, I, I, I know a year up front, usually a tenant will assume, well, I'm paying a year up front. Of course, the landlord is going to accept me. And they'd be surprised. A lot of my landlords say, I don't care about them. You know, they have they have millions of dollars. They don't care about a year up front. They, they want to make sure they do not have a stressed a, st- a tenant that's going to stress them out and cause problems. That's the main issue, minimizing it's problems.
2: peaceful and com- What do they say? Peaceful and comfortable living or whatever? Just 8.2. That's 8.2. what everybody strives to do yes. in an Another apartment. Another
3: risk uh, some people don't really consider with the uh, prepaid uh, rent is the uh, holdover factor. Uh, sometimes the people, especially if they're a foreigner, they, sometimes they won't leave the apartment. They'll make you go through the process of getting rid of them. And it's and a, a, a nightmare.
2: All right, moving on. If you, are re- if you are a rent-stabilized tenant, now this is important, a rent-stabilized tenant in a New York City building where you have lived for many years, and now your landlord has offered to buy you out, okay, either through a lump sum of cash or by allowing you to live in another apartment in another building of his uh, rent-free for one year, because basically what he wants to do is take your apartment and convert it and sell it. Okay, This goes on all over the city all the time. Are you eligible to get a larger um, buyout? What's a reasonable amount to ask for? And do you really have to leave? Can you tell your landlord, no, I'm staying, I don't want your buyout, and I don't want to move to another apartment? What are your options here? And when? what are the guidelines when uh, a landlord comes to you and says, we're converting the building, I want your apartment? I mean, I've,
3: I've advised a few people on this. Um, it depends on the neighborhood. Um, so buyouts, for instance, in the East Village, they range from you know 80000 to $200,000 let us say. For a one bed? Like a one bed or like a small two bed. I mean the East Village units are pretty
2: small or like they're like a railroad style so I've actually... But as someone would say, what am I going to do with $80,000? I can't buy an apartment for $80,000.
3: No, the answer is don't accept it, just wait. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a sticky subject because a, a lawyer won't be able to advise you on what to accept or what's a good deal so it's kind of you know, uh, you try to figure out what other people are getting bought out for in a neighborhood. Um, you also want to you want to decide how much is this building going to be worth once they get rid of me. Are they going to you know does it have FAR? They're going to build up. Are they just going to renovate this unit? Is going to be a rental or condo? So um, if you can figure out how much it's worth to the landlord, you have much better idea of what you can negotiate. And this is like a multi year process typically. Um, you do have the risk of a, you know, like a Steve Crowman situation where the guy shuts off your water, you know, blows out your stairs, <laughs> um, you know, starts ripping apart, <laughs> oh like, you know, you got outside of your apartment. So, I mean, there are... I like you know, what's going on
2: outside the studio walls over here, right? It's in the wrong I've, place. when you're asking me. me too. I know,
3: yeah, they, yeah, they're ripping apart our studio. Um, so it's, you know, for me, I mean, it's it's definitely a process where every situation is radically different and you want to know what people in the, in the neighborhood are getting bought out for, and you want to know what they're going to do with this building in order to get an idea of how much they might be willing to pay. And that's going to take you a few years to figure out, most likely.
4: And when you figure out a number to ask for, um, add on to it. Because it's never a bad thing to ask for more. They can always say no.
2: I do know people who have gotten a million dollars plus, depending on, of course, the building and the location, the neighborhood, whatever. So there are some big buyouts. But what again. Am you know, one say, what am I doing wrong? No, what am I doing wrong with but, my life? But one would say, <laughs> and <then> not, to, <laughs> not to minimize a million dollars because it's a lot of money, but in this town, You can hardly buy an apartment for a million dollars. So, if you're coming out of a two bedroom apartment, you can maybe buy a one bedroom for a million dollars. That's not going to help you or your family. So, you know, everything is relative. It's a lot of money, but. But It it depends
7: on someone's situation like that. For all you know, that person was about to leave anyway and go to Florida. So, that would be perfect. Like, take the million dollars
2: and run. uh, In that particular case, it depends. Exactly. I did
3: did one in the West Village and um, it was time sensitive. So, the guy actually waited um, till after, I think it was August 1st or Labor Day. And um, they actually rescinded the buyout after the guy paid for all his moving expenses because he wanted to play more games um, over a couple thousand dollars and he ended up losing the entire thing. So he was out like 25 grand.
2: Yeah, it, 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 it's a very touchy situation and it can get very tricky. So uh, I think, as you said, it's a multi-year process. You know, work with your attorneys. Try and get it done as smooth as possible. It's never easy. All right, we've got to take a break. We're live from Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We're coming right back.
6: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really
1: fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now,
2: back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back to segment four. I have Perul Brombat from Compass, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Sean McPeak from Compass, Matthew Cohen from CORE, and a visitor today, Jacques Cohen from Compass as well. Compass heavy today. My God, look at that right That's side of the right. table.
5: That's right. When Not, are you guys joining us? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not. Okay, so in Alphabet City. <laughs> <it's>, oh, oh, <laughs> oh my God, I love all the saltiness No, 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 I love Compass. Has nothing to, I love Compass, nothing to do with that. Oh, no, no, I know. A couple, We're
3: and, just, a couple exchanges of fire uh, this I morning. mean, yeah. it's a sunny day.
2: <laughs> there's today, there's right? a need <laughs> for some shade. And, uh, seriously. <laughs> By the way, Leonard has got to come back soon so we've got to work yes, on that. Yes, absolutely. That, that would be Leonard. wonderful. Anyway, in Alphabet City, a stylish scruffy part of Manhattan's East Village a couple of decades ago, there were violent crimes related to drug dealing, especially on the easternmost blocks, uh, close to, I guess, Avenue D. Both arrivals and long-term residents seemed to take the problems in stride. The A in Avenue A stood for alive, according to a popular saying, Avenue B was for breathing and Avenue C was for comatose
5: and (laughs) D was for dead. Oh, my God!
4: What? I love
2: that.
5: We I live in such awesome. a different city. It's amazing, yeah, right? I used to
3: live over there, I think, during the kind of transition from comatose to
2: breathing.
5: <laughs> or, or dead <laughs> to comatose to breathing. <laughs> I remember that, actually. So to,
2: today, in a hotter era, that guide might need to be updated. Avenue A, where a single square foot in a new condo can go for more than monthly rent on an entire apartment anywhere else. A lot of money might be uh, might be more apt. Even D is now developing, but critics are focused more on the uh, word beginning with G, gentrification, a lightning-rock term in a middle-class neighborhood where rent-stabilized and other affordability-priced uh, apartments have traditionally made up a large chunk of the housing stock. But luxury buildings definitely have undertones of today when they pop up. What is happening in Alphabet City? And i got to tell you something. I really love this because – I was always kind of afraid to be over in that really eastern part, like Avenue C, Avenue D. Uh, you know, later at night or whatever, you're out with friends. But 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 today it's kind of like a whole new, you know.
5: There are actually a lot of like hidden. You know how there there were, for, for example, um La Esquina was like mm. that secret restaurant downstairs. Um, there were there are all these speakeasies all around speakeasies all around town that have now become quite public. The recent kind of. Cool spots like uh, destination spots to hang out in town are absolutely inab- in Alphabet City. I would have never ever imagined that.
4: So, someone needs to just remind me of the exact address, but the the development that Frederick is doing on the yes. 12th, oh,
5: and it's
4: it's well, I don't remember, yeah, so
8: 38 is 12th,
4: yeah, so that. He, for example, he's doing a really good job in terms of gentrification. I think that what needs to happen more often when um, both sales teams and developers are building new projects, I think they need to not only put a new project and make and and hope that something great comes out of it. I think that they need to also be involved in the community and and you know work with the gentrification, work with the the people who already live there because that's the only way that you speak about, you know, cooperating, like everyone cooperates to go towards the same goal. And I think, excuse me, and I, Frederick was doing that with the developer and he really made it a point of doing it on 12th Street. And I think that that's a great example. Um, You know, one of the reasons I personally feel, not to bring it to another neighborhood, but I personally feel that Harlem has done a great job with gentrification. Spectacular um, job is that developers are always very conscious up there of what they're building and how it affects the community. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, they always think twice with the churches and with thi- you know and with anyone who is just on the street in general. I mean, I've worked with developers out there who who go to the project and they they will assess how it's going and give an update. And while they're there, they'll talk to the people that are walking on the streets. I think it's really fantastic if you can just get involved. Sorry. <laughs> not, to, not to drag that out.
8: Uh, um, yeah, I also wanted to say that uh, if there are a lot of new devs that are coming up on B, A... On the lower part of it, and what I do sometimes to spin that when I explain it to clients who still look at the Alphabet City in in the old way, what I do is, you know, since the Lower East Side is already so popular, mm-hmm. what you can actually say is, um, when you say 60 Avenue A, for example, and and they don't really know where that is, they they just think Alphabet City. You can say, well, you know, remember that. It's the same as, let's say, Christie Street or Allen Street. It's just the other side of Houston is called Avenue A. So when you associate names like that, like you know, Allen or Christie, uh, they think Lower East Side, they think very chic, and you can just say, yeah, it's, uh, you just go up the street, it's right above Houston Street. So, so that, that helps them associate it with, with, with a neighborhood that's already super chic and, and takes away, I think, from the, the, the pejorative that, that people associate with, with Alphabet City in general. I I agree, and like I said, the 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 change
2: or the change over that's it seems rapid to me. I mean, yeah. that's happening is is just really remarkable.
5: I think it's all supply and demand, right? I mean, we're just. There just isn't mm-hmm. that much buildable space in town. And it is such a, I mean, the last 10 years in the, in the city, even though we had a massive crash, we're um, at the heels of the crash. Even we've just seen so much development soar because ultimately developers do see that there is limited, there's just limited space on the island. You know, and so as a result, and the lifestyle from the mid nineteen nineties onwards has changed so much in this town that people really do want to live in the city and not go to suburbs, and it's become such a livable, breathable, alive city that every neighborhood now is an amazing neighborhood versus what we were talking about earlier, where just 10 years ago, I would hear comments all day long about who wants to live above 23rd Street.
3: I mean, <clears throat> I think the, what really set off the whole neighborhood, and even during the recession, the building that really thrived was uh, the Flower Box building on 7th Street between C and D. And that is by far the most expensive building over there. And you barely see any resales, but it's amazing. I mean, if you're, if you're familiar with the area, um, there, and there's a huge contrast between 8th Street and 7th Street. I mean, 8th Street, you feel very uncomfortable on. Um, it's on the other side of Tompkins. And then 7th Street between C and D is like unbelievably beautiful. Um, but once you get to D, of course, D is D.
2: On on the heels of that, long-term New Yorkers right. have seen <laughs> innumerable innumerable neighborhoods displaced, and independent businesses shut shuttered. And watches the ranks of the city's homeless swell to over sixty thousand. The changes are easy to see, but it's not always obvious where they originated. Sometimes the blame falls on individuals and not even developers. We're talking about the hipsters, the yuppies, the creative types arriving in neighborhoods with no awareness of local history or concern for how their arrival might be linked to people being priced out. Take the recent controversy over a boozy um, sandwich shop opened recently by a Canadian transplant in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Its owner... Hawked 40-ounce bottles of rosé and promoted the business's bullet-hole-ridden wall as a funny reminder of the neighborhood's violent recent history. So is this what gentrification looks like, whether it's in Alphabet City, whether it's in Crown Heights in Brooklyn, whether it's in Bed-Stuy? What is this about?
3: Kind of like this trend of... uh, I mean, especially with hipsters, it's like a lot of people with money pretending to be poor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and they like just don't really care cheap. about
2: anything but except what their agenda is, right? I mean, no, whatever that's I mean, Yeah that is. they
3: don't care about respect to the neighborhood or to the people who have lost their lives or, you know, the reasons why they could even afford to sign those leases in the first place is because of those bullet holes, you know, in a lot of cases. Um, you know, it's something like a you know, especially with the boozy brunches and all the that stuff going on. I mean, I used to own a restaurant in Alphabet City mm-hmm. and we used to do a boozy brunch and it was awesome, you know, and we never had a fight or anything. But the community boards were very anti-business, anti, you know, drinking establishment in general. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of hurdles to
2: clear as, let's, as let's, the young business. Let's Center. clarify. Let's <laughs> clarify for the listeners out there. What is a boozy brunch?
3: It's uh, all right. So doing an unlimited open bar in New York City is illegal, but technically a brunch is an event, and there's Absolutely. yeah, there's an there's an exception for special events, and I guess they're. Not, <laughs> I mean, it's great you can do a special event every Saturday. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's like you buy a meal and then you, you know, for 20 bucks or 25 bucks and then you get unlimited mimosas, let's say it's usually champagne.
2: Uh, yeah, Bloody Marys. It's,
3: it's pretty great. And, um, and a fun fact for all you brunchers out there is that in a mimosa, the champagnes actually cost less than the
2: orange juice. So.
5: Well, it's Prosecco, usually, or a cava. It's not yeah, it's actually not, it's not champagne. From does it.
2: brunch exist anywhere outside of New York City? I, I don't really know. Yes, yes. I don't does. think it oh, does. Good. Yes, college the, towns. And brunch, I would say brunch. Sex
5: in the City is what I think really created a, like a surge Absolutely. of a brunch yeah, culture outside of New York. Um, and I remember back in the early, like early to mid-2000s, it used to still have like the stigma where it's like, Oh, oh, you guys you're not gonna go see football today, you're not you're gonna go to brunch with the ladies, and now every guy I know is at brunch with me. So <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the why, would, why wouldn't they be? One of my exactly. best friends who I lived abroad with, she went to the University of Denver and she always told me that she got introduced to brunch at university by someone who was from Manhattan, of who course. grew up in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, That's the way to do it. That's I, the way Manhattan
2: hat rolls. Anyway, we are out of time. That is our show for today. Thanks to my guests and panel as always. Until next time, be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody.